I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. It's a new year, which usually gives people a fresh perspective. Am I right? A new outlook on things with a, a, a sense of optimism at the beginning of something fresh and new. That's one of the things that continues to keep me motivated to do this show after 11 years. Um, can you believe that? 11 years into the podcast? Which... To be completely honest with you, I wasn't sure at the beginning that, that the show would work. It, it has taken me years to realize that growing the show has been very much like the process behind landscape design. Follow me. Dan Hoshard is the creative behind From the Ground Up, the Dallas, Texas-based landscape design, installation, and garden maintenance company. Started in, 20, in 2005, actually. And I was thinking about my own journey as I prepped for my chat with Dan. I was thinking about all of the things I wish I'd known at the start, the things I learned along the way, and what I wish I would have known sooner. Landscape architects have to see what's not there, but will be over time as their designs grow and mature into what they're supposed to be. I think that pretty much defines all of us who have undertaken the creative path. Dan and I explore this concept a little bit, and he shares his journey, which is not dissimilar from my own. So that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed this so much. And I have a feeling that if you're a creative and you've been doing this a while, you will see some similarities in your journeys as well. We take a deep dive into his company, Tenets, and principles that have allowed his firm to thrive in the Big D and beyond. It's important to note that Dallas has a rapidly changing weather pattern that goes from cold to colder to hot, dry, and wet. And sometimes all in the same day, with areas of dry soil and superactive soil making landscape planning more than just a challenge. Here's how Dan approaches that and a number of other issues that we cover along the way. This was a great conversation, so much fun, and I really hope you enjoy it. We'll get to that right after this. I am so proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They have been presenting partners of Convo by Design for four years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the absolute best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide, and they do this for a few reasons. They were the first company to design and patent the technology here in the U.S., dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S.-based manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? I have the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me and, and you know this, that the idea of luxury has changed, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory, or it's just not considered a, a luxury. And if you want to add steam, 
you have one true option if you want the absolute best, and that's Thermosol. Mitch Altman, the third generation CEO of this family owned company for 65 years, continues to innovate the bathroom and shower space through technological marvels such as intelligent showering systems, sound therapy, aromatherapy, technical interfaces, and so much more. And now Thermosol, the industry leader in steam bath equipment and technology since 1958, is enhancing its already stellar family of products with a new indoor and outdoor luxury sauna collection. Each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. Thermosol's latest collections offer luxurious features and exceptional design. A bathroom isn't luxury without steam, and there's only one option if you want the finest experience. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. Thank you, Thermosol. It's funny because one of the things that I absolutely love to do is I love going to the websites to hear how people describe themselves. And what's really interesting about you is that on the website, there's really no individual bios, right? It's just like, right. it's, it's, it's all about the work. So it left me guessing, how did you, how did you get into that? What's the origin story? How'd you get into the biz? It's interesting. Um, you know, I always was sort of into it. Uh, my parents were big gardeners. Um, my grandparents took me to a trip um, to Butchart Gardens in Victoria, British Columbia when I was 10. And I was just blown away. And so, and my dad was in the home building industry. So when I went to college, the first two years were like, how am I going to decide what to do with my life? Right. And finally I sat down with the catalog back in those days, right. Nothing online. And so I was like, today I'm deciding on a major. And so flipped through the catalog and there was landscape architecture. And I was like, wait, what? Like, this is a thing. And I call my parents and they were like, of course, that's what you should do. And so it's like, I've been doing it always. And it, when I realized I can make a career out of it, it was like, of course, that's what I'm supposed to do. do you, what school did you go to? Uh, Texas A&M. A&M, okay. Um, so you've been in Texas your whole life? I haven't. Um, I was born here. Um, we moved to Arizona when I was 10. The home building industry was booming back then. And uh, then after high school, went to A&M. And then after A&M, I lived in Washington, D.C. for a few years. Uh, incredible experience there. Um, so my palette, as far as plants and design, really kind of runs the gamut, right? Based on where I grew up, where my professional experience has been. Um, and we've been in business here and based in Dallas for 18 years now. It's funny because you could not have picked a more challenging, inhospitable environment. <laughs> I, yeah, it's funny. I I love Dallas. I really do. I've I love Texas. I have family from all parts. Um, lived in Dallas for nine years. Oh um, wow! Okay, love it there. But there are issues, man. There are there are weather issues. There are. Um, uh, soil issues there are all kinds of issues that someone like you has to 
account for? Well, and we have been, especially the last few years, right? We've been dealing with the hottest summers, right? It's a 107. But then these freezes that take us down for a week below 20 degrees. So yeah, you have to start getting really creative with your plant palette, right? So that everything doesn't start looking the same. Um, what's really hardy and can last the winters, but also what is really hardy and can take the heat. Um, so it's a challenge, but, um, I mean, that's part of working outside, right? You don't have the luxury of, uh, temperature control. Well, no, that's true. In some cases you don't, I was talking to an architect who, who had put in an outdoor kitchen in Houston and, and the owners were, were just like, it's too hot out there. So they air conditioned it. It's like, listen, I okay. cannot tell you how much we are doing that more and more. Really? It used to be outdoor fireplaces, right? And then it was like, okay, that's not really putting off enough heat with the gas. So then it's outdoor heaters in the loggia. And now it's like, okay, why aren't we just air conditioning? You know, especially Texas is bigger, better, faster, more. So <laughs> why not? Well, it, it also leads me to this other question for you, you know, being from Southern California, knowing that, you know, artificial grass and hardscape surfaces, and you were, in, you grew up in Phoenix, you're, you're hip to the whole xeriscaping. Yeah. And then it was just kind of like, well, that's what, what you did there. It wasn't, it's so popular that everyone's doing it now. But what I'm starting to see, I moved to, to Tulsa to work on a design house project. And what I'm seeing here is I'm starting to see artificial turf pop up in certain yards, which is inconceivable for Oklahoma, you know, Tulsa, which is part of the Midwest, just inconceivable in that regard. But the, the South as well. Are you seeing that more? Are you doing it more? And, you know, some of these conversations, a lot of times with the homeowner, it's going to be the reason why you do artificial turf is because you do it once with the expense and then you save the water costs because water is getting outrageous. But on the higher end projects, you didn't see that traditionally. Are you seeing that more and more? Are you using that more and more? Absolutely. And I think for a variety of reasons, um, certainly water. Um, also, you know, it's a problem solver. If you've got, especially if we're working in the park cities in Dallas, right? Big homes, um, sometimes not enormous properties. Um, and you've got one big tree and you've got kids and dogs, you're not going to get grass to grow. It's a mud pit. So it's a functional thing, right? Um, it's a cost savings thing. And it's an aesthetic thing. It looks good all the time. You can host parties without having a big stone terrace, right? And you can put round tables all over it. Um, I also think in Dallas, especially, we love sort of that whole Northeast look of the clean pool with the grass right up to it. And we just don't have natural lawns that really function in that way. And especially on a small property with kids and dogs, I mean, it's mud. And so it becomes not only aesthetic, but a really functional thing of how it works. I, I've, I have rules with it though. I mean, my tendency is if real grass can grow, we should use the real grass. Um, it can be a problem solver. It can be a small space solver. Um, and also if it's a huge space, it often doesn't make sense. 
Um, but the biggest thing is I don't want real grass touching artificial grass, right? Because then it looks like sort of a miniature golf putting thing and we should have a windmill or something. So if you've got a larger property, we've got to separate it by some sort of hedging or hardscape or something like that. I'm just, I'm, I think because I live there, I'm so fascinated with Texas in, in general, but Dallas in particular, because to me, you know, being a native Angelino, Dallas reminds me a lot of Southern California, you know, especially when I was growing up because, you know, I was a teenager in the San Fernando Valley in the 1980s when there was just this, it, it was just this cauldron of experimentation. You know, there was architecturally speaking, fashion, music. It was, it was, it was groundbreaking. It was changing. And when we moved to, to Dallas the first time, I want to say the first time we moved there was 1994, I think okay. it was it was that same vibe where, you know, Deep Ellum was not discovered yet. It was still seedy and it's where all the clubs were. And it's where, you know, all this this new music was was starting to to transpire. It was really cool. At the same time, there were certain, you know, the Nash Nasher and all of all of the arts were starting to come in more. There was more of a focus on that. And at the same time. There was this. So I'll get, I can, I'll, I'll best give you an example. So we bought a house in far North Dallas, Preston and Campbell. Okay. Yeah. Built in the 1970s, which was not a good time for architecture, especially in Texas. Correct. Because there were no rules. You, you want to build something, just build it. But what they did at the time was they built, it was a cool looking seventies, you know, modern contemporary ish kind of thing. But there was no real plan for it. So, yeah, you have the pool in the backyard. You have a circular drive. And you know what? We're going to put a tree here right up next to the property. And then we're going to put another tree on the other side right next to the prop to the house. And there was no real thought to the exteriors. You could just try something. And if it didn't work, you could tear it down. But what happens is 20 years later, you have these huge trees that are growing within two, three, five feet of a property. And then you have things that in certain other parts of the country, they're only now starting to realize it's like, look, you have a tree that can drink 200 gallons of water in a day or two. And where does that water come from? It comes from the foundation. And so now you have sinking and bulging and just, these are things that you have to now think about too. And I'm wondering, is, is that relatively new for you or have you always, because from the ground up since 05? Yes. So have you had that for a while or is that something new that you have to really consider these days? No, I think we've always considered that, right? I mean, and I don't, honestly, I don't know if it was um, intentional that we considered it, right? A lot of things are like, it's just part of when you're designing of what you don't do, not necessarily a checklist, right? And so it's like, a, I mean, look, don't put a live oak close to the foundation, right? Or if you're on the north side of the house, don't put it in the middle of the yard where you're going to shade out every inch of grass between the house and the tree, you know, be intentional or don't use as large of a tree, you know, use something that grows more upright. Um, I think there's things, well, I know there's things when we're designing that 
you just sort of know, like it's never going to be an option because you know, either it's an issue, right? Or it's not the right plant for the right space, or it's not the right plant for the property. So I think part of that is what you learn in school, but really most of it is what you learn along the way, right? And I think that was the nice thing growing up with it. It wasn't like I was starting the business and sort of figuring it out on clients. Like a lot of it, my parents taught me a lot of it, you know, I was taught by mentors and interning and working for other businesses. And so you really go in kind of knowing um, some strong basics in that regard and not just design and how to group things, but really the functionality of it too, because it, it needs to be beautiful, but it also needs to be functional without being obviously either, right? Like my thing is you should walk into a space and it should just feel appropriate and good and not like you're checking a list of things you want or not that it feels contrived, but it just feels very appropriate for the space, for the architecture of the home and the surroundings. I, and I, I, I sort of press on this a little bit because I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I, I don't think, I don't think enough time really does go into the exteriors. And, and I think a lot of that is, especially with all of the transplantation that's taking place right now. I mean, look, you're in Dallas. Uh, you've, you've had people coming from Southern California to Dallas for decades now. Yeah. And that's that's sped up again. And I think every time there's major upheaval, the it speeds up. I mean, I remember in, you know, after the dot com bust, people kind of moving into Texas and discovering because it was in the it was you know right in the shadows of the oil bust in Texas. Right. So things were super cheap and it was it was kind of like a really interesting idea of hey, we'll go to Texas. Then again, 0809, same thing happened, pandemic, same thing happened. So now you have from both coasts. Well, what's interesting is, and what I learned moving to Tulsa, it was fascinating. So, you know, you can go from, so we're entering summer now where it's 90, soon it'll be a hundred and you're talking 60% humidity, right? Right. Then we go in, then we go into winter and you've got 15 degrees, 10 degrees, sub-freezing degrees and 5% humidity. Right. Well, that or it makes, can be 65, right? Yeah, or it can be 65 the next right. day. And, and drop from 65 to 20. Yeah. Right? It's like being outside and caught with your bathing suit on for the plants, right? Like, yeah. you're so, going to have some fingers that turn black, right? <laughs> Same exa- with your plants. Exactly, which is why, you know, if, if we're talking interior design, and I was talking to an interior designer, it'd be kind of like, okay, so design this room. Then just know that half the time it's going to be freezing and half the time it's going to be 100 and it might start raining or snowing or it might start raining and snowing and then get really sunny and warm and then start raining and snowing again. Like even with performance fabrics and and you can't design that way, but you but you have to and you're you're designing you know, designers are designing for 10, 15, 20 years, architects, 75, 100, 150 years. How many years do you design for? And I know it's like, well, it's outdoors. It's, it's, it's never ending, but 
you with climate change and if there is temperature change, there is climate change, blame it on whatever you want to blame it on, but it is happening. Right. Correct. Yes. How do you, how do you plan for that? And how do you plan according to zones and knowing that those zones are really always in flux these days? Yeah. I think in general, the zone guidelines can still really apply. Right. Um, I think when we lose things, it's when we're maybe pushing a zone, right? So we're in zone eight here. Um, we can use things they can use in Houston in zone nine. But those are the things that, you know, maybe for two decades, we don't get those crazy low temperatures and they're fine. So you get used to it as part of our palette, but really it's not, right? We're in zone eight for a reason. Same thing with we can't grow a lot of things that they can up north, not only because of the soils, but we can't have hydrangeas playing in full sun next to roses, right? It's a lovely look, but it's just not going to happen. And so what we wanted, I mean, you have to design for the current conditions, but with an eye on longevity in the future, just knowing, and this is something to prep clients for as well, there's certain things you can't control. Um, in North Texas several years ago, there was this horrible disease that came and knocked out all the roses. Um, there was no uh, prevention for it. There's no cure for it. I mean, you had to remove them, bag them, burn them, like because it was transferred by wind and insects. And they were planted like crazy because low maintenance, right, can take the heat, can take the cold. It was foolproof, so they were everywhere. So it spread like wildfire. I mean, there's no way to predict things like that. But what I think it's important to do is while you're planning with things that can handle the spectrum is not to plant where you create a monoculture, right? Where you're always using the same plants that are everywhere. Because when something comes through like that, not only is the whole city wiped out from that plant, but if you're using those really um, intensely in your designs, a whole garden can be wiped out versus you don't have roses everywhere on the two acre property. You know, they're in select areas so if you lose 20, okay, you pivot and you transplant those out, right? And maybe you're taking some chances, but you're not taking chances on the entire design. Um, almost like you were saying with interior design, certainly you're going to have to recover fabrics and repaint and things like that. I think same thing with the exterior. Let's use stones and hardscape and design that are classic in nature that from a design perspective will stand the test of time. And knowing that the plants, you're gonna have to change things out. And not only because of disease or weather, but look, as your trees grow, you have to plant for a full sun garden initially. But in 20 years, that full sun is gonna be shady. And so knowing that the garden is an evolution, but just like a kitchen, right? The kitchen, that was very chic in 1978, you're not keeping right now, right? So there is gonna be an evolution of the garden, but what we need to do are the areas we can control, um, make sure those are really classic and long lasting. So the whole thing isn't needing to be gutted. I, I think, you know, it's interesting you bring up the, the kitchen and the evolution of space. You know, gone are the days where you just, throw a Weber out in the backyard and, and call it, you know, call it a grilling area. So 
it is absolutely extraordinary what's happening to kitchens inside and out. And I'm curious how that's changed the business. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't talk about the business so much as a business, but I'm just curious how it's changed the way that you work, knowing that, you know, it used to be you get up to the, to the threshold and kind of your job stops and the interior designer takes over when the house starts. But now the, these ideas of, of indoor outdoor spaces. So these outdoor kitchens are extraordinary. How has that changed the way you view your, your environment that, that you're working on the, the jobs that you're doing? How do you, does every project have an outdoor kitchen or an element like that? And what else are you doing that maybe you weren't doing five years ago? Yeah, I think, um, you know, COVID changed a lot of that um, because people were home um, and it ended up, you know, we all thought we were going out of business, right? Like this is it. And then all of a sudden you're going from slowing your business down and how can we cap overhead to, oh, wow, we've got to hire people. We've got to hire a lot of people. And then you're like going from slowing down the train to like, oh man, we need more coal. We've got to go into overdrive. Um, and so I think a lot of it that happened in most businesses, right? So I think a couple things, you had these husbands, right? Who um, maybe were putting the end to like spending or whatever, but now they're doing zoom calls in their backyard or even on interiors. And now they're like, this looks horrible. I'm so embarrassed. We've got to fix this. Right. And they weren't making any less money. And by the way, they weren't spending money on travel. So there was money all of a sudden to invest in your home and it became important to sort of everyone in the house. Um, and also, I think because we were entertaining at home a lot more, we weren't going to restaurants and different parts of the country sort of, you know, obviously different time. But I think it really introduced and made people fall back in love with their homes and really pay attention to it. And so, yeah, it's like 10 years ago, we would do an outdoor kitchen right here and there. Now it's like 90% of the projects and it really has become not just a spot for a grill, but really for a full bar and people are entertaining and they're hiring bartenders at their uh, parties, you know, so it's how it works every day, but also works for big events. Um, we're also seeing a lot of not only more elaborate outdoor kitchens, um, but also more emphasis on the garden as a whole, as in how do we make this a space, not just for a lawn and a swing set, but really something we're proud of and want to spend time in. Um, outdoor fireplaces, I mean, almost everywhere. Um, because in Texas, like we said, often in the winter, it's 65 degrees. Like, it's incredible. Um, so you can be outside next to the outdoor fireplace and entertain. Um, recently, we are seeing a lot of cold plunges um, associated, not just a hot tub, but a cold plunge. And like in the last year, which is really interesting to me, it's this trend that's come on really strong. Um, and then also, you know, before it was like tennis courts, right? It was really a mark of having a large property. Well, now pickleball has become this phenomenon 
that we're seeing people saying, okay, we, we don't have room for a tennis court, but we certainly have room maybe for a sport court to have a basketball hoop for the kids, have pickleball, you know, people's adult children are coming home. It's become this big thing. So it's interesting what these trends are based on what's happening in the bigger world and how it zooms in on design in a big way. And I think to your point, the blending of the indoors and outdoors, a lot of our job, if we're doing a remodel where it's really landscape focused, we do tend to become an interior designer a little bit in the ways that we're making sure the flow happens, that we're oftentimes designing the outdoor furniture and fabrics and things like that. But if it's a new build or a major construction, I love a team environment where we've got the architect and the interior designer myself, and we're making sure if we've got a strong team of those people, and we have a lot of friends in the industry, I love working in that environment and going, what's the flooring material? Do we want to carry that through? Um, what are the paint colors on the house? What is your palette for the garden? What is the stonework? It's so, I think the client ends up with such a better end project when the three of us are working together with that same end goal and not being territorial. Um, it's a fascinating to, a way to work. And I think if you've got a great team, it's, um, it's, it's a fun environment for us to work in. And I think it ends up um, great for the client in the end. You are listening to my conversation with Dan Hoshard from the ground up. And uh, we'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, Collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Well, it's it's interesting, too, how you, you mentioned pickleball, because I was going to ask you about that. Because, you know, traditionally you have a, you know, if you have a tennis court, a pickleball court is roughly two thirds the size of that, right? So it's like 40 right. by 60 is, is what you're looking for. Now, on a 40 by 60, you can you can also put cornhole. You can also yeah. have a basketball court, which just meaning the ability for placement of entertainment options, not just you know purposeful entertainment options, right? So now, are you are you almost looking at your spaces more the same way as an interior designer? would look at the, at the indoor spaces. You've, you've got a bedroom here, you've got a living space there, you've got a kitchen over here. In the past, landscape architects, it's not they would just dot, 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 but it was you know, your, your landscape palette. And then it was, it was placement and use and let's plan this out over the next 20 years and how's this gonna grow in and where's it gonna shade. But now there's more. I mean, look, if you wanted to go into interior design, you probably would have gone into interior design. But now you've got this opportunity where it's almost like purposeful zones. It's almost like more space planning. Is it not? Absolutely. Um, and I think now more than ever, like you said, I think 
what we're designing a lot right now is not just sort of like, okay, we need a back patio together and then a lawn for the kids and a garden, right? But it's people, I mean, we're finding they're really, really using their outdoor spaces more than ever. And it's creating, yes, creating these outdoor rooms. Um, you might even have, you know, um, going up to the front door, like an exterior foyer that we create that's more interesting, that's not just street, grass, plants, house, right? But you're creating these nuanced entries where maybe you don't see the whole thing from the street, right? It's revealed slowly like rooms in the house. So you have sort of foundation plantings, but then you walk into a space and there's this great courtyard. Maybe there's a water feature that you hear before you see. It's really drawing you into the space. I think it makes the whole experience of the home more interesting um, and um, more aesthetically pleasing. Um, also in a more private space in the rear, it's not just, okay, here's a gathering place, but it's like, okay, our kids are getting older. Like we want them a part of it, but maybe they're not right here with us. So it's like, okay, there's a place for um, the college kids to go hang out and the adults to hang out, or even like the guys to go play cornhole while uh, the ladies are, huddled around the fireplace right and really creating more than one living space and yes absolutely just like you would have a home right like um we have the outdoor kitchen we have the main living area around the fireplace we have sort of the kids playroom off in the corner we have the moody den where the guys are having whiskey and you know telling off color jokes right and so it's uh it's a nice um it's a fun way to do it because um it ends up much more interesting right as a result because it's not i love a garden where the whole thing isn't revealed like you open the back door and you see what you see right but it's like there's a path that curves around and it's like, what's around that corner? It really draws you out into it, which I really makes you want to use the space. So uh, along those lines, it also changes the manner in which you work. If you're doing an outdoor kitchen, now you have to become an expert in appliances and materials sure. and cabinetry. And how has that changed the, the approach to the work and as such, you know, and I bring up the kitchen, the outdoor kitchen in particular, because that has been so transformational. And I mean, look, now it doesn't matter. You could be in Montreal in, you know, nine months of winter and still have an outdoor kitchen. You can be in the heart of Texas where you get pretty much everything sometimes in the same day and you can still be out there so when it comes to the design, I mean, and it comes to cabinetry and appliances and how much are you getting into that? Or is that something that you're kind of off, you're putting that off to an interior designer and maybe you're doing more work with them on the kitchens or have you taken that on? And it's like, no, we want to be an expert in kitchens because that's what we're doing. Both. So I think it would depend if, uh, it all depends on the job, right? If it is real, like I was saying, it's really a team environment. We would, we would always have our hand in it and we would work together with you. They're going, and I find that interior designers, 
at least the ones we are privileged to work with are really open. Like they're like, okay, let's kind of talk about aesthetics and how this is going to blend in, but they're really leaning on us. Like, look how, what is going to be the performance outdoor appliance that they're not going to have to replace in three years or the slab countertops that are going to really be able to hold up to hell and intense sun. If you know, it's not completely covered. Um, or it may be that we're sort of the only professional on the job, right? Because it's all exterior focused and we're really taking on the whole thing. Um, but I mean, we've done some where it's, you know, counter to ceiling backsplash and cabinetry and uh, full appliances. And it's, you know, um, short of a dishwasher, it's a full kitchen. Um, and it's, you know, you've got to, I think we experiment on our own homes, right? Like my business partner and I use different brands of grills. Like you have a buddy who normally you're like, okay, we don't want to give any advice because we can't handle our workload as it is. But maybe you're like, okay, we've heard great things about this grill. Like, are you into trying this out? And you kind of see their experience and, um, you know, and you want to sort of figure that out so that when you when you're working with the client, you come to it with some expertise. Like, look, this is what's really going to work. And by the way, here's where we should spend some money. You know, an outdoor refrigerator, you don't want to get a cheapie because it's going to burn up. Um, but there's some grills that look, we don't have to spend $20,000 on a grill. There's this great model that performs incredibly well, but it's a great price point, right? So you get to learn those nuances or, you know, your client and they love a label. And so you're like, okay, here's going to be right. And so um, you find those, but yeah, I think you've got to be an expert at it. Even if you have an interior designer involved, they're going to be leaning on you to sort of have a higher level of information on those things. So I think it's important to be informed and up to date and kind of why we're very involved in the industry, right? Um, As far as showroom openings and industry events, because there's so many things that bleed over between interior design and are important for us to be aware of. You know, I think many people consider Texas the South in general, any, anywhere from Vegas over to new Orleans, right. As, as, Indoor, outdoor country. Yeah. But I'm curious, would you consider, let's just take Dallas, for example. Like, would you consider Dallas to be an an indoor, outdoor community that is a blended indoor, outdoor community? Like Southern California, you spend half your time inside, more than half your time outside, maybe. You know, it's just, it's one of, the weather's always great, but it's always, it's, it's always been that way. I think it's more cultural than the weather itself. I, I'm curious, is, is Dallas the same way where there's more of an appreciation for outdoor spaces? Because, and I ask the question because I feel like that then gives you an opportunity to, to do way more. We talked outdoor kitchens, we talked pools, we talked sport courts, saunas, you know, out, outdoor, outdoor saunas, which are, which are gaining in popularity right, right now. Sure. There's just more to do. Has, has the mentality changed? So you're not, you're not necessarily selling the outdoors when you're starting to meet with clients, but it's, they're already sold. It's like, how do we maximize on it? Is that where you are now? Has, has it come to that point? 
yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't say we're at the point of California, right? I mean, there's always the reference of like, oh, if we were in California, we'd have these accordion doors and really open up. I mean, we have mosquitoes here like crazy. You can't like quite do that. And I think like you said, it becomes, it is the culture in California, but maybe that started with the weather, right? Because it's, you can. I always say in Texas, I feel like, especially in Dallas, it's, um, you know, the rest of the country, the North and the Northeast may have these dormant months where everything's blanketed in snow and you're just going from the car to the house, right? To be warm. Right. I almost feel like our dormant months are July and August. And so, right? And so we're hurrying from the car to the air conditioner. So we have dormant months, they're just flipped. But I still think in those months, you're using your outdoor loggia. You know, we have fans in the corners that sort of blow the air out that helps with mosquitoes and heat. You have pools. So you're kind of still using it year round in a big way. I mean... We have big biking and jogging paths here. I mean, I think um, we live near White Rock Lake and I can get on my bike and ride from my house around the lake past the Arboretum. Like it's it's like a 15 mile, you know, very doable. Um, yeah, and, and I would say when I'm doing that, that it's full in June, January and it's full in July. Um, Certainly in April and October, there's a lot more people and a lot more families. But yeah, I think it has become that. And, and I think because we're able to manipulate the outdoors somewhat, right, with outdoor heaters and air conditioning, your screen and porch or whatever it is, that it's becoming more and more that sort of despite the weather. Now I'm curious, you know, you, and by the way, that, that, that track around white rock, I love that. I used to run that probably three days a week. I, we lived on the M streets for, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Um, okay. And totally get it. It's built for the outdoors. You know, Dallas is yes. built for, for use of outdoor spaces. Um, that being said, so there's also some challenges. Like you talk about cold, cold plunge, love the idea, but come July and August, it's more of a lukewarm plunge. How do you, how do you address chilling the water that was one of the biggest frustrations we had you know with the pool is like well in the heart of summer you know you're not even using the heater it's just warm well you know there's chillers now are there really yes oh of course there are of I course mean, there why are. would there not be right exactly give us a minute we'll come up with it right but okay yes exactly now to do a cold plunge that is a whole separate piece of equipment to get it to still be a cold plunge in the summer. Really? Um, a lot of times people are in, we have some clients who've incorporated it in the gyms in their homes. They have a cold plunge. They have a hot tub within their gym, right? That's a whole separate thing that we would have our pool uh, guys install. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, even the water is temperature regulated, right? And so you certainly have the classic heater, but now we have chillers. Of course. Right. Awesome. Why not? Yeah. But I think, you know, that's kind of my point is that now the outdoors, I don't want to say that, that the outdoor spaces were, were ever an afterthought because I, I think true design and architecture always considers everything from tip to tail, end to end. Right. But lately, and I think this is a direct result of the pandemic, 
because people realized either your outdoor space was functional or it was not functional. And that, that sort of coming to that conclusion made people think about fund allocation in ways that they, they probably hadn't before, right? So that changed everything. So that being said, now there's this incredible opportunity for you and for the firm what's what's next what are you starting to see that you think is going to happen next as a result of all this as far as features or as far as anything i think okay so a couple things i I think a lot of times especially if someone's doing a major remodel or a new build you know, a lot of that budget, like you said, gets eaten up in the beginning. You know, they're upgrading windows, they're upgrading HVAC, you know, all of Finding problems. Absolutely. So you get to the outdoors and there's sort of nothing left, right? So what I find is a lot of times that was just it. You built the house and you did the interiors and whatever the landscape was, it was. I think more and more we're finding that it becomes very important for people um, if we're working with them initially, that there's a phase two, that they don't want to design to a budget. And more and more we are seeing them say, okay, we're going to do this, what we have to do. And then in two years, let us sort of refill the coffers, right? And let's, do this the way you've designed it and the way we want it to be. And it becomes just as important as creating beautiful interiors. And so a lot of what I'm finding is it's not just that a project's dead because of budget reasons, it's more on hold. And those people do come back and we are coming in and doing the full scale exterior two, three years later because it's important to people in a way that I really feel like it never was. It's, um, you know, it used to be, maybe people would say that and it's like, all right, you know, they're gone and they're off to other things, but the outdoors has become so important. I think the pandemic sort of highlighted what people were missing in that regard. Right. And even though we can travel and go out to restaurants, people are enjoying having people over in their homes in a, more relaxed environment and want to create a space. And I think maybe that was the issue before, right? There wasn't the space there to provide that, but now there is. Mm-hmm. Um, even seating areas and fire pits in front gardens, right? Like people are certainly in our neighborhood, we see people walking and jogging and biking more. And we know a good number of our neighbors. So people are stopping and visiting and oh, have a glass of wine, right? It's been sort of a nice upgrade in a sense of uh, community that, you know, maybe wasn't as intensive as it was during the pandemic where we really couldn't leave home. But I do think we all enjoyed that, right? And so having a little taste of that still, even now, if it's just on the weekends, people really crave that connection and being in each other's homes, which I love. Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on. I think the community aspect to this has, has really changed. So what does that mean for you? So now landscape architect, 
you know, you've got, you've got the skill set that you've been, you've been nurturing and developing all this time. What is that? What does that do for you? Call it personal and or professional. What are you learning now? I think it really allows you to flex your design muscles, right? Because people are interested in really taking the time and money to create something and something interesting, something different, um, and not just wanting to get it done to get it done, but really creating an experience. And so as a professional, it's incredible because the projects we're working on, um, regardless of the size, I mean, it could be a little courtyard for someone who's downsized and it's a zero lot line, but they're like, not just throw some pavers out there in a Weber, right? Like in a few trees, it's like, there, and I really think also Instagram had a lot to do with it, right? People are exposed to a lot more. So they're pulling images and they're like, we want to look out at this every day. Even if they're not in it, it becomes like we were talking about another room. So they want the visual of it sitting in their living room, even if they're not out there in it. So from the smallest little you know, 20 by 15 courtyard, we can make dramatic um, changes. And I think it's fun to see through design, really how you're changing how people live and their lives. And it's, it's so incredible to have clients come back or email us back or call me and say, you won't believe how much joy this brings me, how much peace at the end of the day, how much relaxation, how it brings our family together. I mean, that is like the coolest thing you never knew you were going to get when choosing a career, right? How design, which on the surface could seem so frivolous, really is so deep in meaning to people because it's how they live. And you really come into people's lives on a very personal level and get to know them in a way that most lines of business you wouldn't, right? It's a very intimate experience and it's a lot of marital counseling and it's a lot of um, hand-holding and guiding them through the process. So you become connected in a way and the appreciation and seeing what was in your head and what you've created for them is actually what ends up happening. And making such a positive impact on your life to me, that's sort of the coolest thing. So if you had to go back and give the top five or six features that everyone's asking you for right now, the mm -hmm. most, requ the most requested features, not, not costs, not, yeah. um, what, what would they be? Um, I think broad generalization Certainly, whether it's a pool or a water feature, just that sound of water, right? And so, like I said, even if it's a courtyard and you can't do a whole pool, um, that sound of water, it just is a vacation, right? Mentally, um, it just immediately makes you gravitate towards it. I mean, I think, think if you're going on vacation or to a restaurant and there's sort of a water feature, you tend to gravitate towards the table near that, right? It's just a whole experience. Um, the second thing I would say is something to gather around, um, whether it be an outdoor fireplace or a fire pit, 
Um, and that could be the, the fireplace almost is, you know, maybe there's a TV above it even, right? So the kids are having movie night out there after swimming or the game's on or, um, you know, whatever big event you're into, the Oscars or whatever it is. And um, something to gather around, just like inside, right? Like the fireplace inside, it just is a sense of home. And it's a great um, focal point and gathering space. I think in general, um, maybe even broader than that, is a focal point in the garden. Um, you know, some sort of vignette, no matter how large or small, that when you're inside more than the experience, that is where your eyes going and it's creating a sense of space. Um, and I don't, you know, some people might say, oh, you know, maybe that's pointless, but I think it's almost like a foyer or a hallway, right? How you might have a grouping of a table and chairs and art and accessories. No one's sitting there, but it's part of the experience, right? It's something beautiful um, that I think that is the point, right? Maybe it's not functional and you're not sitting there, but it could be as simple as a bench and a couple beautiful pots with topiary and flowers. And it's just like that. Ah, oh, that's just killer while you're on your laptop returning emails, right? It's just that cool thing um let's see what else? i mean i think a lot of what um the turf is a big thing for a lot of reasons for the functionality um a lot of the guys that are big golfers love to incorporate a putting green in it you know the kids love it um that's that's another big big request and then of Are, course hang on once sorry yeah. hold that thought I'm just yeah. curious, are you finding um, a greater tolerance for it back in the, you know, pre-pandemic? It was, oh, it's plastic. Oh, it's not real. Oh, are, are you finding a greater tolerance for that? Yes, but I also think the technology on what's available to install has come so far that it's not like the green plastic rolled out on the front porch of, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking of Arizona growing up. Like there was yeah, always yeah, yeah. that. Um, so yeah, I think it's come a long way. I think you used to have to sell it a little bit harder and now yeah. people are coming to you for it. I also, it, and with the putting greens and stuff, people are utilizing their side yards, you know, in park cities, you've got these sort of seven to 10 foot side yards like that, historically it was for air conditioning units and you just graveled it. People are like, let's do a whole putting green over here, right? So it's not visible mm -hmm. and they're sort of using it all the time. Yeah. Um, and then certainly outdoor kitchen entertaining space. I mean, hands down. And that could be, I think, you know, people are getting into smokers and green eggs and really like, doing these incredible briskets and pulled pork. I mean, I don't know if that's the whole country, but in Texas, it's just this incredible, um, people are into it. And it's this whole culinary thing. Again, I think it's the cooking at home thing. It's made this great resurgence. Yeah, no, totally agree. And, and you know, for me, talking to someone like you, it's really exciting for me because I feel like that's one area that is, you know, it's, it's ubiquitous, whether you're, you live in an apartment and you have a small balcony 
you know, you're going to try to do everything you can to make that outdoor space more functional. Function in outdoor spaces has finally met uh, form. And that's a, that's a really exciting place to be. It is. It is. And I think it's exciting to make it functional, like we were talking earlier, without it looking functional, right? Like, it's super functional, but it's not utilitarian in that way. Right. There is very a very high sense of high level of design involved with it, uh, especially because people are going the long distance on their interiors now. Right. It's not just sort of get a sofa and a lamp. I mean, it's really the interior design business, I think, is incredible. And I love that. And it's not just, you know, the 10 million dollar homes that are doing it. It's kind of everyone and um i love that i think it's it's a it's people have realized really what it brings to your life and it's not just a frivolous thing totally um dan this was so great thank you thank you for making the time today this was this was fun absolutely it was great fun i appreciate you having me we are living in a time of incredible growth both technologically and creatively with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Dan, for taking the time to chat. See, this is why I love doing this. This is what keeps me coming back for more and why it's so rewarding for me to share these stories with you. Thank you to my partners and sponsors. Thermosol, man, love you guys. Uh, Design Hardware, Moya Living, thank you guys so much for your continued and unwavering support of both the show and the design community. For more stories like these from the design community, please make sure you are subscribing to the podcast so you receive new episodes automatically when they're published. That way, you never miss an episode. Convo by Design is available everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X. Follow me there. I don't post often, but when I do, I, people tend to enjoy it. So there's that. Thanks for listening. Until next week, be well and take today first. Mm-hmm.